Well, as we, as we look toward election day, as we look towards our voting, or we, we look back towards having already voted, I want to ask you, what are you hoping for in this election? I don't want you to say it out loud. <laughs> but I do want you to think about what are you hoping for in this election? And, and beyond that, what are you hoping for in the future of your life in this country? What are you hoping for in the next five years as it relates to your life here in, in the Loudoun County area? What does your life look like? What are, you, what are you hoping for for the state of Virginia? What are you hoping for for the United States? And then ultimately, what are you hoping for for our world? What are you hoping for? Um, we're going to look at a text where, where Paul talks to us about hope. I'm, I'm excited today to look at this text um, I'm excited because the word of God is powerful. And, you know, I, I don't claim to be a very uh, creative speaker. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to be a, a life coach who has his own repertoire of things. I mostly just look at the Bible and I pray and I say, God, please help me to explain this in a way that changes lives. And I'm excited because God's word is powerful and it will change your life. Because God wants to change your life today. And so I, I want us to consider what hope looks like. As we, as we read the word of God together, I'm going to be reading out of Romans chapter 15, verse 13. One verse, we're going to nail it. So if you could stand with me, we read the word of God together out loud as a way of encouraging one another and as a way of hearing God's word come out of our voice, come out of our mouth. Um, as, and we stand as a way of reverencing God's word, believing that this is the ultimate expression of God's wisdom. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Let's pray. God of hope. God of hope, we come to you today. Father God of hope, we come to you today and we ask for hope. We ask for you to give us by your spirit, by the power of your Holy Spirit, a hope that will propel us forward to live lives of radical commitment to you, of radical faith and trust in you, of radical life sacrifice that would challenge the values and the norms of our world and would bring attention to who you are and give you glory. God, would you be here right now as we, as we dive into this one verse of your word? And would you be with us and, and would you unpack this for us? Would you open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word? Would you transform us in a moment? We pray that your word right now would be living and active and it would cut to the soul and spirit, that it would do something in our hearts and it would ignite a hope that gives us a positive sense of joy and peace and that allows us to to minister in faith, and to look at our circumstances and say, no, I've got hope. We pray this all in the name of our Son, Jesus, your Son, our Lord, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Now, whenever you jump into a text like this, we're in chapter 15 of a, of a 16-chapter book of the Bible. You need to unpack that a little bit. You don't want to just jump in and start reading and saying, you know, 
I commend you. Oh, he commends me. And immediately apply it to your life. You need to understand some of the the context around this. And there's really 15 chapters of context. We're going to actually read through the first 15 chapters of Romans. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. Um, But I will say that that this verse falls in line with an argument that, that Paul is making to the Roman church. Now, the early church was divided largely between Jewish believers... Those who had grown up and they, they grew up under the Mosaic law, they followed Mosaic rules, they understood the Old Testament, and Gentile believers, many of whom were kind of coming into this really green, kind of, uh, they were new to this whole thing. And because of that, there was some, there was some disagreement, there was some uh, argument, there was, there was in, in some cases, disapproval about the way that each group lived, and, and Paul was trying to bring some unity to those. And if you were to read Ephesians, most of Ephesians is about racial unity. It's about uh, ethnic unity between the Jews and the Gentiles. And here, Paul has spent a number of chapters, um, or not, maybe not a number of chapters, but he spent the previous section talking about what he called the weak Christian and the strong Christian. And now that he wasn't talking about who could, you know, bench 45 versus who could bench 245. No, he was talking about there were those believers who in their conscience, they were, because they had believed a particular way in the past, they could not participate in certain things that other Christians felt no compromise in participating in. One specific example was the idea of eating food sacrificed to idols, something that I know that we all talk about often. It's, you know, it's on Facebook and Twitter, so we're well aware. No, we don't understand what that's about. But in, in ancient times, they, would, they had pagan rituals where they would sacrifice food to idols. But now idols don't actually consume those foods because they're idols. And so they would sacrifice the animal, and then they would take that sacrificed animal, and they would sell it for food. And there were, there were some who saw that as, as wickedness, some, either those who had participated in... in um, in pagan worship, or oftentimes Jewish people who saw that, and they're like, we can't do that, we're not even getting close to that. And they were still trying to kind of live within their, um, their Jewish heritage and law, even though they had come to believe, have faith in Christ. And so you had people who felt constrained by their conscience to do things and live a particular way, and Paul calls them the, the weak Christian because they didn't have quite the same amount of freedom that he felt like they, they could have. And he says to the strong Christians, don't do things that would cause them to feel pressure to do something against their own conscience. He wasn't saying that that particular act was wrong, but he was saying if you live your life in such a way that it it makes it difficult for this other believer to follow God faithfully, then you're doing them damage. Now, to the weaker Christian, he had been saying things like, you know, you need to not judge them based on your rules, but judge based on Christ, basically. And so he's trying to navigate this, this division, and he's trying to bring them together. I'm, I'm going to get somewhere, I promise, so just stick with me. And so he says in chapter 15, verses 5 through 8, he says this, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony, harmony, get it? They're trying to bring them together, with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. See what he's saying? He's saying, okay, whatever your background, whatever your situation, whatever your conviction is, seek to live in harmony to such degree that you welcome one another. Why do you welcome one another? Because of the gospel. Because Jesus has welcomed you. Not because you, you stand by this set of rules, or not because you stand by this set of rules, but because Jesus has welcomed you. He goes on, For I tell you that Christ has became a servant to the circumcised, talk, talking about the Jewish people, to show God's truthfulness. Right? God had made some promises to Abraham, I'm going to be a blessing to you, and I'm going to use you and your, your offspring to bless the peoples. And so God, Jesus came to be a blessing to the Jewish people to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, etc., etc. And in verse 9, and in the order that the Gentiles may also glorify God for his mercy. So God had a plan for both the Jews and the Gentiles, and Jesus came to, uh, to address both. And so Paul says, guys, live together in unity. And it's in that context that he says to us in verse 13, may the God of hope fill you all, fill you all, with all joy and peace in believing so that, the power of the, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Now, as I said before, we're not necessarily struggling with whether or not to eat food um, offered to idols, but there are things about our beliefs, and, and I'm thinking about the election, where we have convictions, Christian convictions about, about life, Christian convictions about justice, and I'm, I mean, put them wherever you want. I'm not saying they're opposed to one another. Um, Christian convictions about, about many things that lead us to vote a particular way. And we can be having conversations with, ha- who, with people who have very similar Christian convictions, but they feel constrained in their conscience to act a particular way. And maybe you feel constrained in your conscience to vote a p- particular way. And, and in that moment, Paul is saying, but, but we're going to come together and receive one another as Christ has received you. We're going to seek to, to preserve, as, as Paul would say, the, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And he says it here, that I want you to be filled with hope. Filled with hope. So that's our context. That, that was a lot. But he begins and he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy. He talks about the God of hope. The God of hope. And, and a lot of times, especially in more literal Bibles, you'll see something of something. And that, that second of something, is it could mean a number of things. It's the God from whom hope comes, the God uh, uh, who's, who is the source of hope, the God who uh, owns hope. Right? It's, a, it's a way of saying uh, this word hope is related to God. And in this case, what Paul is saying is God is the source of hope. God is the source of hope. Now, if we get this wrong, life gets really challenging, as we all are aware. You get your, you've heard the phrase, get, don't get your hopes up. You know, are we going to, this year for us, it was, are, are we going to do something for Halloween? Are we gonna, you know, well, don't get your hopes up. We'll, we'll see. You know, what am I getting for, can I get my, a bike for Christmas? Well, don't get your hopes up. We need to consider what we put our hope in. What's the source of your hope? Is it, a, is it a presidential candidate or a party platform? Are you banking your life on whether or not so-and-so is going to enact the right policies to change all the things in our nation to make everything better? Is that your hope? Is your hope 
you know, our government is going to, uh, it's, it's going to begin to work the way it really should after this election. You know, forget the last 200 years. This time we're going to get it right. Are, are you, maybe, maybe you're, you're more cynical and you're like, no, it's not the government, but it's this activist organization that's really going to fix things. And again, not to say that, that that's wrong. We're kind of an, I mean, maybe not activist, but we're an organization that seeks the good of our, our, our community, and it's good to be a part of those things. But is that your ultimate hope? Maybe it's more immediate. Maybe it's closer. Maybe it's your, your job. You know, I'm, I'm hoping that my job is going to bring fulfillment. It's going to bring money. It's going to bring uh, definition and identity. And I wake up thinking about my job. I wake up thinking, okay, how am I going to do, solve these problems, climb the ladder, get better? Is that your hope? Maybe it's not. Maybe that's not it. Maybe that's definitely not it. And your hope is just the end of the day. Your hope is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work, you know, my... 8 to 6, or maybe it is 9 to 5 now that you're not having to commute into D.C., but, you, you know, and you, you put the kids down, you get done with all the distance learning, and you, you know, give them some, uh, some milk and help them go to sleep. <laughs> and, and you're waiting for that moment of silence, and that's your hope. And you know that that's your hope because if you don't get that moment of silence, you're kind of like vibrating with, with anxiety and stress. And, and, and if any of these things are, are true of you, I'm, I'm not trying, to, uh, I'm not trying to, to pick on you because I, I'm in this boat with you. Um, but we need to consider what our hope is. We can often say, Jesus is my hope. Oh, Jesus, Pastor Eddie, Jesus is my hope. I, I hope in him. But, but our anxiety and our stress and our focus would say, you know what? I think my hope has a lot more to do with my circumstances than I'd like to admit. Only God can be the source of real, lasting, and anchoring hope because only God is capable of ruling over our lives now and forever. You're not a good God. I'm not a good God. I'm a, I'm a bad guy. I'm barely a person. <laughs> You're not a good God. You can't run everyone's life. And we know that, but we want to. You know, so-and-so should live this way. This person should do that. Uh, my, my company should do that. The CEO should make this decision. You know, Trump should do that. Biden is going to need to do this. And we think that, that if we could just exert our own supremacy, if we could just exert our own sense of sovereignty, if we could just be king for a day, we'd fix it all. History would suggest that that is wrong. And the Bible asserts unashamedly that that's not true. But it's okay because there is one who is king and he's good at it. He's good at it. And you know what else? He's the God of hope. We don't have a king who is vindictive. We don't have a king who is coming after us. We don't have a king who's saying, you know, you messed up and so you're going to pay. No, we have a king who said, you messed up. That's upsetting. I do have a set of rules that, that I want you to follow. I have a character that I want to be expressed in the, in the creation. But I love you so much so that I'm going to send the most valuable person I have, my son, to die so that you might experience life. That's the kind of king we have. We have a king. We have a God of hope. We have a God of hope. He's a spring of hope rather than a cistern that will dry up. 
The psalmist says it in, in, in Psalm 33. As he reflects on the world around him and his own hope. Psalm 33, verses 13 through 17. The Lord looks down from a heaven. He sees all the children of man from where he sits enthroned. He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashioned the hearts of them all and observes their deeds. A king's not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope of salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Verse 20, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. He's the God of hope. And and Paul goes on to say, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. What? If I was writing this letter, I would have said, May the God of hope fill you with what? Hope. Right? That, that, That seems to be what he's suggesting. May the God of hope fill you with the thing that he's the source of. Hope. But that's not what he says. He says, May the God of hope fill you all with all joy and peace. In believing, now those are those are good things. So okay, Paul, great. I feel like you're taking a left turn, but sure. He goes on. And he says, "I want you to have joy and peace. Not only have it, but have it filled with all joy and peace." What is joy? It's this sustained and established happiness, even in the face of difficult circumstances, because it's not based on those present circumstances. I like to think of joy as just, it's happiness, but it's happiness that's anchored in eternity. Right? Hap- I, I get happy when, when Miss Susan brings me a pie. Miss Susan, that's not a suggestion that you do that, okay? But she probably will. Next Sunday, she will probably, because that's who she is. I'm not saying do that. <laughs> but I do get excited. I'm not going to lie. I get happy. Yeah, amen. Thank you, JC. Someone who's, who's honest. The rest of y'all just snickering and looking, man, I like to eat quinoa. I get happy. When that pie is gone, I'm a little less happy. But, but that's not what joy is. Joy is founded in the reality that, you know what, if I die today, I'm going to be with my Father in heaven. And that's not an escapist idea. That's, that's my destiny. And family, you may die today, or you may live 90, 100, 200 years, we, you know, cryogenics, we'll see who, what happens. But you may live a long time, but ultimately, that's not the end. The end is what happens after that. And, and if, you're, if you're trusting in God, if you're trusting in Jesus, then you have an ultimate joy in him. He says, I want you to be filled with joy. Not only joy, but, but peace. And peace is this idea of wholeness. It's not just, it's not just uh, the lack of difficulty, but it's this, this sense of, of being whole and, and having harmony with first God and then others. You know, your problem and my problem, our primary problem isn't that, that so-and-so on 28 keeps cutting us off and acting crazy. Our primary problem is not that they're trying to widen the 66 and they're con- causing a lot of traffic. Our prop- primary problem is not that your neighbor is a jerk, your primary problem and my primary problem is that we are sinners, we are, we are criminals in God's country, and because of that, there is a, a payment 
a penalty, a, ju- a judgment on our lives. That judgment is death. That's our primary problem. Whatever happens in this life, whether you, you live in poverty, poverty or you are the richest person in the world, whether you have no relationships or you have every single relationship that you could ever want, if you have enmity, if you are an enemy of God, if you have not had your sins forgiven, again, death is not the end. What comes after is the end. And our ultimate question is, have you made it right with God? And we can't make it right with God. But Jesus offers eternal life. We celebrated the Lord's table where we remember the the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. This this person, God becoming man, taking on my human flesh or flesh like mine in order that he might live a perfect life that you and I should have lived. Die on the cross in our place for our sins and offer eternal life to us. And, And what that is, he's offering peace. And once you have this vertical peace with God, then you can begin to have horizontal peace with one another. Because you can begin to say, you know what? You can hate me. You can disagree with me. You can, you can call me names, and I can still love you. Because my life does not terminate with your opinion. My life does not terminate with, with you, your idea of, of me. My life is hidden with Christ and God. He wants to fill us with joy and with peace. And he says he he wants to fill us with these things in believing. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. I'm praying this over you, family. In believing. This is something that only comes as a result of faith in God. Again, these things are anchored in the realities of eternity, which are mediated to us, which are given to us, which are we receive by faith in Jesus Christ. You can't, you can't live the life that God wants you to live. You can't receive the benefits of God without doing it through Jesus. I heard one pastor say it. I don't mean to be silly, but Christianity, it's about Christ. <laughs> and if we try to do these things without Christ... You're no longer doing Christianity. I mean, it's just... We, we receive joy. We receive peace in believing in what Christ did. It's available to you, family. It's, it's there for you to receive. It's there for you to have. Peace and joy are yours to have right now. You don't have to, you know, claw it down from heaven. If you trust in Jesus Christ, you have peace with the Father. The question is now, are you going to live in light of that peace, peace in relationship with other people? I, I'm the right there with you. Sometimes you, you, you are in, in difficult situations relationally. Maybe it's with a boss or, or a, a friend or a spouse or, or a coworker or, or someone, you know, at Starbucks. And there's, there's a lack of peace there. Maybe it's as you turn on CNN or Fox and you're like, there's a lack of peace there. But peace is available to you. Peace is available to you. Tranquility and harmony before God is available to you. And if you allow that to control and determine and direct the way that you live and relate to the world around you, then peace begins to define you. Even in difficult circumstances. Even when, when your, your candidate doesn't win the election. Even when your car gets scratched by some person who didn't leave a note or insurance information. That wasn't me. I'm just, I'm sure that that happens. 
Joy and peace are the appropriate outworkings of believing. Okay, so, but, but what does this have to do with hope? He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Okay, Paul, but why did you mention God as the God of hope? Why did you call him the God of peace and joy? May the God of peace and joy give you peace and joy. Why are you doing that? He goes on and he says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. As you exercise faith, may you be filled with joy. May you be filled with peace. May your, may your interactions be joyful and peaceful so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in what? Hope. Family, when we begin to exercise our faith, when you begin to live and, and the reality of what Christ did and the fact that he's on the throne to the right hand of the Father, that he's ruling and reigning right now, when that reality becomes more real than the shoes that you have on, when that reality becomes more real than the, the, the strife that you're feeling in these relationships, when that reality becomes more real than your bank statement which says that you need to do something, When that becomes more real, then you begin to have hope. Because you look and you say, I have joy, peace now. I have joy and I have peace now. And when I look to the future, I'm not looking to the the obstacles of circumstance. I'm looking above and beyond them at the God who is orchestrating them. And that faith propels me forward to hope. That faith says, I can look at this, this chart that, that says these bad things are going on in your body, and I can say, you know what, but I have a God of hope. My faith is in my God who's going to give me joy whether he heals me or joy whether he doesn't heal me. Joy whether he uses the physicians or joy whether he heals me miraculously. Joy whether it's in a moment or, in, or joy whether it's a, it's a prolonged, difficult situation. There's going to be joy because my joy and my peace are not dependent upon my health. My joy and my peace are dependent on, on the fact that Jesus died for me 2,000 years ago. And he reigns today, and he's coming back on a white horse with a robe dipped in blood, a a, a sword coming out of his mouth, eyes of fire, and it's going to be crazy. If you've never heard that before, it's in Revelation, I'm sorry. If if you've never heard that, that might be a little jarring. What? You took a left turn, Pastor Eddie. My point is that we believe in a God who's a powerful, strong, amazing God victorious God. And in, in Revelation, there's a picture of God, Jesus coming back to, to bring judgment and, and to gather his church together, and he's on a, a white horse with his robe dipped in blood, eyes of fire, the sword of the Spirit coming out of his mouth. And it's intended to do what exactly it sounds like, freak us out a little bit. And, and to say, you know what? You know, if, if, someone, if, if you go to a party and someone shows up on a horse, you're going to get, you're going to give them some some breathing room. And if he's wearing white linens, like, like he's just hanging out, but there's blood on the bottom, again, you're going to give him some space. Right? There's a, this, this picture of, of Jesus that is more than just a kind shepherd with, with a lamb on his shoulders and, and really slight features. Just, just kind of... Sometimes we can have that view of Jesus like, oh, yeah, I know he died for my sins, but it seems kind of like a weak. No, he had gnarled, calloused hands. He, he, was, he was able to hold himself up on the cross. When you're, when you're being crucified, the way they would do it is you would be held up to, and you would kind of have to push your body up. They, they tended to die from asphyxi- asphyxiation. 
I'm sorry to go into this for the children, but, um, but you wouldn't be able to breathe. And, and the ones who were strong held themselves up, and, and so they would break their, their legs so that they couldn't hold themselves up and they'd die. Jesus was strong. Jesus is strong. And, and, and he's not, his legs aren't broken and he's not dead. And, and this is our hope. Family, this is our hope. And, and if that sounds foreign to you, this, this is the process of sanctification. The process of taking what seems foreign and making it natural and then realizing that the life we live now, it's kind of foreign. It's, it's, it's taking what, what we do now and the sin that we live in and the culture that we live in and recognizing, you know what, this is not how things should have been. And beginning to read this Bible and saying, as weird as that is, that's becoming more my reality than the world around me. He prays, may you be filled with hope. May you abound in hope. And he says, by, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Family, the reality is this is not something that you can do for yourself. And you know this because many of you, I'm sure, have woken up on a Monday and you're like, I'm going to be happy. No, I'm not. <laughs> and and you, you want to change your emotional static, status, but you look at your circumstances and you're like, but my circumstances tell me that I'm really angry. My circumstances tell me that I'm, I'm not happy. My, my bank account tells me that I'm, I'm pretty depressed, actually. This is a work of God for us to see him as he is, for us to appreciate Jesus as more than just, you know, a nice philosophical teacher, a wise counselor, although he is those things, but to, but to receive him and see him as God, as powerful for your life, as, as worth your time, as meaningful to your life, as worthy of your attention. That's, that's, Paul says it in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4. He talks about how the eyes of unbelievers are blinded from seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is something that the Holy Spirit, he, he, he needs to do in us. But he's willing to do it. He's willing to do it. And this is how it happens. You listening to the word of God and hearing it and allowing it to touch your soul and, and being willing and open to, to hearing it, that, that is the work of the Holy Spirit in your, in your heart saying, maybe this, this hope could be for me. Maybe this joy and peace is available to me. It is. It is. Because hope is founded on, on faith in Christ, God must open our eyes. He must open our eyes to see and appreciate Jesus who is the Son of God and our Savior, open our eyes to see our future in Christ despite the difficulties of our, our present circumstances and open our hearts to grow in our trust of God. So as we, as we close, my, my question to you is, what, what if I feel hopeless? Maybe you came today and you're like, okay, that's, you know, rah, rah, shish, boom, bah, Pastor Eddie. You know, I, I see that you're very passionate about this. I see that you're, you know, excitable. You know, maybe you had too much vitamin B this morning. But maybe, maybe, why do I feel hopeless? What do I do if I feel hopeless? Maybe you're hoping for a more sure election moment. You know, you, you, were, you were thinking, I really had wished my party could have come up with a better solution than what is currently available to me, re Republican or de Democrat. 
Maybe your circumstances are, are they're crumbling around you and you're, you're, you're like, this is all well and good, but when I leave today, my bank statement is still going to say zero or my bank statement is still going to say negative whatever. Maybe, maybe you have relationships that are falling. You know, Pastor Eddie, I understand uh, hope and peace and joy, great, but my parents, they're still not talking to me. My friend, they're still not talking to me. My spouse is still angry at me. What do you do when you feel hopeless? And just two things. Return to the source of hope. Don't, don't go to the... <laughs> your bank statement isn't a source of hope. Bill Gates' bank statement is a source of hope. But it's not the same kind of hope. Because I can't get into it. Return to the source of hope. Go to God. And then trust him to secure joy and peace and a hopeful future. God will fill you with hope, but he calls you to believe. He calls you to look at Jesus and say, you know what, I do believe that he's the son of God. I do believe that he died for my sins. I do believe that, that his life is, is, is for me and that I need to submit my life to him. If that's you, if you recognize that you're on this precipice of hopelessness and you want to trust in Jesus Christ today, I would love to pray for you and pray with you. If that's you, just raise your hand. If you're online, you can, you can let one of our hosts know. And just pray this with me. God, I'm coming to you as the God of hope. And I'm asking that you would fill, with, fill me with hope as I trust Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I'm not asking for hope in, in my present circumstances or hope that I'll, I'll win the lottery but hope that, that you love me and that you have a plan and purpose for my life and that I can trust you with my life God I want to follow you in Jesus name Amen Family, there is hope there may be difficulty there may be tons of rain and bad weather outside there may be pain and suffering but there is always hope